Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing The Man from Uncle, directed by Guy Ritchie, Roadrunner by Morgan Neville, and newly released The Tomorrow War by Chris McKay, The Green Knight by David Lowry, and Black Widow directed by Kate Shortland. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Vincent Daly, how's it going? Tommy boy, how's it going? It's going okay, buddy. How was your uh, How was your week of movies? Uh, doing good. Yeah, I've really uh, been fitting in a lot of new movies uh, that have either been available from HBO Max uh, or uh, have been in theaters, and I've been able to get to them. Uh, excited to talk about a lot of these, uh, and uh, excited to have so many new releases uh, in the ammo belt. Uh, to talk about, so it should be a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get started right away. Okay, sounds like a plan. And let's do uh, The Man from UNCLE. The Man from UNCLE. Guy Ritchie, we recently uh, reviewed Wrath of Man, which was his new release, and actually unintentionally went back to this film uh, just because I was craving some sort of spy film. Uh, I also wanted to watch something spy-oriented, of course, with Black Widow being in this selection for what we have today Mm -hmm. to review. But really impressed with this film. This is honestly... I would I, I was super pleased with this because I would very confidently say this is the best time you can have with a spy movie outside of the Bond franchise. The, the Wow. Yeah. It is uh, it, front to back a blast to watch. The performances that we have with both of our main characters uh, are huge. Uh, it is a fun time watching them compete over the plot uh, and have this kind of duplicity element uh, to the gadgets that they employ, the type of spy tactics, the different tactics that they have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it w- It is a fun time and, and a really fun film. Could you compare it to anything else outside the Bond franchise? Um, like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy was super slow. And, yeah, and definitely not on that level. And it, it more so more so a fun blockbuster of a spy film. It's not going for super realism uh, or it's not going for anything but a very flashy, uh, fun. Much uh, like a Bond. Exactly. It, has, it has some sort of grittiness or realism to it a bit, yeah. but it's performative. It's very. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this is, of course, based off of the old 60s, 70s show, Man from Uncle. Uh, I have right, no experience course, yeah. with that show uh, just because I, I watched some old uh, television, but that's just one 
like the original Mission Impossible, for instance, just something that I never experienced. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that is probably one of the best elements coming into this film. I can, uh, you know, really assure any audience member that has not seen this film, there is no homework required going into this, knowing anything about the original show or anything like that, which I thought was really refreshing. It's it's like flat out, just a, it's a good time. Exactly, yeah. Uh, There's no kind of uh, watching uh, or uh, watch list that you need to go into this which is great because this film really as it is at its best probably something that you know if you're watching with a group of people you can kind of throw on and uh, and root for a side uh, root for you know one side of the protagonist or the other and really enjoy some very witty charming performances oh, wow, uh, okay. we have Henry Cavill yep. uh, uh, on one side and the other uh, Army Hammer. Army Hammer. So you know, enjoy it. Enjoy <laughs> right. him while he's in movies. <laughs> while he's still around. You know, yeah. it's 2015, so nobody, right. you know, nobody knew yet. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, the performances are really top notch. Both of these characters are awesome to see on screen, and it's not so much of a difference between you know how their side of this 70s type of Iron Curtain, you know, one's one's East, one's West, one's, you know, uh, right, right. De- uh, Democratic, one's, one's Communist. The differences in how they approach situations and how these characters problem solve, and most importantly, how these actors are performing as well, is really entertaining to watch. It, it hits a sweet spot, uh, and I have to give full credit to, to Guy Ritchie on this one. It is a entertaining is film. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, really, a ball of a time. I've def- it, it's on my list to watch for sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I love I, when it comes to spy. Absolutely. Anything really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, as far as what I why this originally landed on my radar is I heard it was a very gadget oriented film. I can even say that it did get good reviews from I believe as well. Yeah, it was well, yeah. it was well recepted. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the type of gadgets in the film are of the age. They're not getting into the wacky, maybe Pierce Brosnan type of Bond oh, gadgets. Good, good. So it's a, it hits a sweet spot there, and really is I think a love letter to. That original show, even though I don't really have an appreciation for some of the maybe more fan y moments of it. I'm sure there's some Easter eggs in there, Absolutely. things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. It is it was so enjoyable to watch, uh, and so snappy and really the best of what Guy Ritchie has to put out. I think another uh, big highlight for me is the opening sequence of how these characters are introduced. N- uh, not to call back to a previous episode in case uh, any audience members haven't listened to the Rafa Man review, but Guy Ritchie won once again, uh, is a master at introducing the elements of the plot in a very creative way and not at all cookie cutter. Uh, there's a lot of care putting put into the first quarter of this film uh, and catching you up to speed on the world, catching you up oh, to speed good. on these it's, characters. Yeah. It's done differently. It's not just... It's, here, not, it's not just here are your characters exactly. and let me he does it in a neat in kind of a unique way absolutely alright cool cool. It was a really good time uh, for that reason uh, I would say the only other thing that I would want to note is that as far as some of the action in the film I I was hoping for it's not that the action sequences uh, are are bad I just think that for me, the best when these characters are on screen interacting with each other, mm-hmm. and too often I think the film set, splits off and tries to give them a little bit of solo time here, solo time there. You want them together. Exactly. That's where the magic, it's, 
that's what magic happens. Absolutely, the ensemble cast is where the sweet spot is for this, uh, okay. and uh, I, that that's really the only criticism I would have, other than it being a movie that understands what it is. It's supposed to be a snappy, fun spy film. It's not really going for anything intellectually, you know, massive right. or anything like that. It is what it's supposed to be, exactly. and it does a good job at it. Exactly, but for that reason, a really positive reception from me, and, and definitely for the purpose of the ratings, making sure that this is on your radar uh, and deserves to be. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give The Man from UNCLE a 75. Oh, okay, very good. Absolutely. I, like I said, it's on my list, and this is only, you know, I will put it kind of something I should watch sooner rather than later. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, I, I forgot really... about it, honestly, and, and, and then just hearing about it now, it's just like, oh, yeah. like Right, right. I want to watch that. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I, th- I think it's also a great uh, group watch, too, if you're ever with uh, a good amount of people or something. You need to put something on. It's, it's fun. It's not all that complicated, I'm sure. Everyone yeah. can kind of follow along. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, the performances are, are top-notch for that reason, too. We can go ahead and move on. What's up next on the docket, Tom? Uh, so the next is we're going to do Roadrunner. Roadrunner. Okay. So Roadrunner uh, is the Anthony Bourdain documentary. This is done by the same director as the Mr. Rogers documentary. Hello, my neighbor. Yeah. yeah something like that. Like that. I, I, I was... <laughs> it well, you had, the, you had like the documentary it. that came out, and then you had the Tom Hanks one come out, too. Uh, yeah, this is the documentary side. Right, that, right, right. Which I was a, a very big fan for, despite not remembering the name. Uh, I was a huge fan yeah, yeah, of no, that Yeah, you, you enjoyed that. So I was excited to to see this film. Uh, of course, uh, if you are a fan or a follower of Anthony Bourdain, I think this will be on your radar as well for that reason. And I think, uh, especially for the fans of Bourdain, uh, this film has a surprising amount of ammo to collect from. Anthony Bourdain, much like the most, most documentaries that kind of surprise me, uh, the amount of work that is done to catalog and archive previous uh, voice recordings they go deep with Very everything deep he with everything he was involved with they went deep to get anything they could basically exactly and or, it's or a, anything that would add more depth to him absolutely deep, yeah I, I i believe this is connected to cnn films so it is related to parts unknown his second main show uh, so they had act, complete access yeah, to everything with I'm that. Sh- absolutely, behind the scenes production uh, stuff. It obviously grabs from the main uh, from the main show, and there's also voice recordings of. I guess Bourdain did these voice recordings prior to the show, and that's where kind of some of the style came from. These like audio uh, Before, journal entries, like way early, early. Yeah, because the early. book, I thought it was just off the book. Uh, it could be related to like the interview segment segments for uh, Kitchen Confidential. Sure. Or, yeah. Yeah. Main point of what I want to get across is I think for the fans of Anthony Bourdain, there's a surprising amount here that you probably have never heard and gives the the film a, a really snappy briskness to it. Well, uh, it has an extra enjoyable. importance to it because it maybe when people think that they know everything there is to know about him. Mm-hmm. Or have watched him long enough. Well, you and I are huge fans. Absolutely. Saw him live. Yep. Act- oh, they show uh, the performance. Obviously, not where we went to see him, but right. They show oh, that tour. I'm glad they took some of that. Yeah. Because um, I remember him doing interviews and talking about that, how much he really enjoyed it, mm-hmm. and how much he was like, abs- like freaked out and scared the biggest butterflies. Even though he had all this credit to his name, mm-hmm. when he started doing the live tours, he was yep. just back to square one almost. It was a completely different platform for him. Absolutely. Good. I'm glad they touched on that. But basically, what I was saying is, it, it's the way you're talking about it. It's just when you thought you knew everything about him or something. Mm-hmm. It's nice that there's things in there 
that you can go back to and learn new things about him. Absolutely. Probably love him even more, honestly. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the film actually does do a good job. Uh, I mean, not that I was even super aware, but I guess uh, he had kind of some controversial streaks uh, or uh, media type of showings that were, I guess, in poor taste of some sort. Uh, that's certainly how the documentary kind of portrays it as well towards the end of his life. Uh, and it's and, and I'm glad that they showed kind of a balance because it is a love letter through and through to Bourdain. And I, I you know, I don't think a, a documentary like that really needs to dig up anything uh, dicey uh, or anything that is not a love letter to clearly a very revered personality yeah. uh, in television and cooking. But it was good to see that it was a balanced approach. And if anything, I'll relate it to the Mr. Rogers documentary where it was all just... Uh, sunshine and daisies mm -hmm. uh, you know emotionally heavy stuff but really you know Mr. Rogers being bulletproof it was good to see that the director could do a balancing act to Bourdain who does have a checkered past and does have uh, you know kind of an interesting career so did Morgan Neville the director um, ever at all cross paths is there any reason why he picked it up otherwise than just being a very good director especially at documentaries or did he have you know past run-ins with Anthony Bourdain did they work together on anything else you know was he in it at all and telling his story of Anthony Bourdain or no uh, not that I remember uh, there, there's obviously a lot of people speaking both industry friends of Anthony right. Bourdain so I mean he could have maybe appeared on screen and me, it, me not to notice it but not from my what so I it's really tell. just him coming from a great director especially mm -hmm. with documentaries and just making a great piece absolutely for him and yeah. I think probably not to down to business it up but probably owning the license in some way through CNN of course of know? course yeah if, uh, just to stick on the highlights of this film as well uh, you know a documentary for me is kind of hard to to criticize because it's depending on you know more so the factors of uh, how well the filmmaking is how uh, engaging uh, beat for beat it, it ties into uh, how the story is being unfolded or what they're trying to tell I think the editing for that reason is a very big highlight of this mm, okay. uh, I think the editing whether it's just a really good team behind it it's they know when to pluck the heartstrings they know when to layer certain things in and once again, I, I think that is representative of what this director does all the way through uh, on his on his other works as well. For a big emotional conclusion, and of course, uh, obviously the subject matter of Anthony Bourdain is that of suicide. The it it ends very heavy, but they do a good job at pretty much all the way through, especially for some of the lows in Anthony Bourdain's life that the film touches upon. It does a great job at still representing what we all love Bourdain for, mm -hmm. which yeah. was kind of this rock and roll mentality, this uh, this rebel uh, and this renegade. And I think for that reason, uh, it, it ends a little bit uh, too much with a, a bow on top for me, especially given the subject matter is right, what right. it is. But I, I think overall, it was a, a really good time for me uh, to to watch and to to understand a lot more about how... He, Anthony Bourdain got into this career of uh, being an entertainer in this way mm -hmm. and more than anything how he established his voice to be so iconic and so unique yeah uh, absolutely in a sea of food criticism and food entertainment especially he was in it when it started to blow up when absolutely. Food Network started to blow up when Travel Channel I mean and Travel Channel too absolutely 
the film very much touches upon, you know, when he's, uh, you know, in the aftermath of Kitchen Confidential, his main book, mm-hmm. that he doesn't want to succumb to that. So him finding his own voice and finding his own way. And he totally had his own way. Absolutely. I mean, that he was a poet on his own Absolutely. in a weird way, in yep. a weird Anthony Bourdaini way. Yep. And it transferred through when we saw him live as well, mm-hmm. and that's fantastic. Yeah, so a good time. Roadrunner, though, uh, I think uh, more more so for me than anything, uh, when it comes to a documentary, I don't want to get into you know fractional scores unless it really has me on a nice edge. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give Roadrunner a 70 on the dot. Definitely worth your time. Oh, okay. Thought maybe it would be a little bit higher to be honest with you. Yeah, I I, I think it's I think it's difficult to uh, give it higher than that because is it something that I would say maybe bridges the gap for a non Anthony Bourdain uh, mm-hmm. watcher to view? I don't think it makes that jump. Where uh, not to not to really overemphasize this Mister Rogers documentary. I think that was something that universally almost everyone should walk if if you're even a relative fan of documentaries. Right, right. So that's a good way to look at it. Absolutely. All right, so that and that came out relatively recently, but um, we're going to jump into really kind of our new releases. First, we want to just kind of stop and you know do our little producer segment here, which if you're familiar with the past episode is what you know. Hopefully, we're starting to pick up build, steam, yeah, build and build up the idea of it and everything <laughs> like that. So it's the producer segment, and this is when we want to stop and thank the producers, which we look at you. As the producers, not listeners. And basically, you know, Vin and I, we don't want to be a part of big corporate sponsors or anything like that. We kind of want to just do our own thing. And if you guys like it, if you could give us a little bit, give a kickback to us, kind of give some donations to us. Because it's not, not doesn't cost a lot of money to do this, but it does take time and, and a little bit of funds. And we want to kind of build this out. We want to grow it and really kind of build up our catalog and expand this to... You know, a few other different things as well. So if you like listening to the podcast, if you like going to our website, thedailyratings.com, and checking out movies before you watch them, or you want to see, you just want to go through our vast catalog of stuff that we already have, uh, you know, if you could just uh, just become a producer and mm-hmm. donate to us. Uh, you can go to thedailyratings.com. Go to the, uh, the, you can go to the donations tab. It can be a small amount, larger. You can do a reoccurring if you'd like. And we really appreciate it. You can send in a note along with it, and we'll read it on air. And whether, you know, you could say how much you disagree with Vin. You can say how much you're enjoying it or, you know. Crucify me, you know. Yeah, movie suggestions, (laughs) whatever. And if you're giving us money, we're going to read it. So if there's one thing you want your negative comment to come through, (laughs) attach some bucks to it and no worries. I like that. But again, you know, we do want to turn this into something. It is quite a decent amount of time. It is some money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you find yourself valuing it, it's the value for value model. Did you find value in the podcast, in the website? If you could, you know, donate to us and give us something back, we would really, really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's not much more to say to that. So thanks a lot. All right. So let's go on now. This is when we do our new releases. And Vin, let's start with uh, newly released The Tomorrow War, Amazon Original. Yes. Oh, boy. Okay. All right, I didn't yeah. know which <laughs> which one of these we were doing sequentially, but the Tomorrow War uh, with Chris Pratt. Um, yeah, wow, is this a bad movie? Uh, I mean, <laughs> not that you know, uh, not that there's much of a boundary in watching an Amazon Prime uh, free on Prime movie. Uh, you know, plenty of people have that, but I, uh, you know, very very cut to the chase. This film is just very simply not even worth a, an ounce of your time. Uh, the film is a, a sci-fi, action, horror, 
comedy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, supposed it, to be a comedy or no? Uh, like The I Martian think, wasn't supposed to be a comedy from Ridley Scott. Turned right. out to be a bit of a comedy. Yeah, absolutely. That, I think that actually really does hit the nail on the head. You know, there's not more supposed so to be comedy, like, but it's that bad. Marvel jokes inside this this sci-fi horror action <laughs> okay. film. Uh, uh, it, it, it's very bad uh, for <laughs> <laughs> uh, for something that deals with tri- time travel uh, as the premise of the film. Uh, I mean, we are up against films like Avengers Endgame that are very loosey-goosey with time travel. Uh, this is all the more loosey-goosey <laughs> with time travel. So definitely, you're, you know, if you're in it for, oh, I want to... You know, kind of see a, a, a thoughtful time travel kind of blockbuster movie. Uh, nothing there for you. Even uh, the trailer was bad. I mean, I'm yeah, sorry if people yeah. liked it and are listening to this, but mm-hmm. the trailer looked horrible. I, I have no interest in one. I can't wait to, to hear the number. Absolutely, it, it it definitely is a another entry in why Chris Pratt. Uh, I you know why are we choosing him as the main lean? I don't understand. Um, he doesn't fit in it. Uh, no, I don't. I don't really get he was much confidence uh, from uh, you know him tasked with this. You know, it is a bit of a different. I mean, he like buffed up for the one movie uh, for the uh, uh, for the Jurassic Park movies, right? That was his. Main well, buff up. Uh, no, before that, when he started to gain more from Parks and Rec, it oh. was the uh, the war movie. Is it? Um, the killing of Osama bin Laden. Oh, uh, that's right. Uh, was Zero he... Dark Thirty? No, no, no. It was uh, 13 hours, something like that? No, that was Jim from The Office. <laughs> that was John Kaczynski. I think Zero Dark Thirty he played a role in. <laughs> what are with these comedians bridging into war movies? Right, we're going to have to review them because we don't even know anything about them, apparently. It's rough. It's rough. But Chris, anyway, so Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah, Chris Pratt, not just, good. He... Marvel jokiness uh, in the middle of this film that has, honestly, really terrifying stakes. Uh, it's based on a book, I believe, correct? I think based so. on a pretty uh, a popular book. Yeah, I, I believe so. It, it's it's just like the oddest mix of sci-fi action, uh, really kind of horrifying stakes when especially you're introduced to how they get into the future. Uh, there is a moment there where I, I was like, wow, that's really compelling. Like I'm actually kind of invested now. And then there's just like immediately a... <laughs> A, a Marvel kitsch uh, joke after it, and it's, it's just, just like, like took you right out of it. It's just like the worst possible uh, CGI monsters, uh, kind of cool. Uh, this also landed on my radar because uh, Ken uh, Bartholomew, uh, he is a visual designer that I follow. Uh, he designed what are the aliens are? They're called white spikes, I think, or okay. something like that. Cool design, <laughs> obviously designed to be very deadly, uh, said to be very deadly. This film has the most plot armor I've ever seen, I think, in a film. Uh, <laughs> we have these monsters uh, destroying possibly like multiple platoons of soldiers, uh, but Chris Pine, or not Chris Pine, uh, Chris <laughs> Pratt and his happy band of jokesters make it along just fine. And when one of them wants to, you know... Uh, throw themselves on the sword to save the rest. They can do that too, and there's just no consequence. Oh. There's just not. It, okay, look, well, is there is J.K. Simmons a silver lining? Uh no, no, oh. he is. <laughs> he is in it 
for such a surprising little little <laughs> amount of, I mean, I like J.K. Simmons. He was getting a check, you know. What I mean, okay, like, is that, was, that Listen, man, they, they, Amazon spent a ton of money on this. A ton, and and, and was production almost like two hundred million, something around that. It, it was more? up there, and and does a lot of uh, site hopping, and you can say you can tell it went into like a lot of extras. And it's CGI, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. CGI must have been out the yeah, absolutely. And and again, I mean, you know, the the CGI isn't bad. The scenes, the sequences, the set pieces. All interesting, but are, Probably, uh, are you ruined unanimously by the performances and the script and, of the, this? and writing? Because yeah. for me, CGI ruins a movie. I am an anti CGI guy for the sure. most part. You right. know what I mean? Right. It's like that's you, you go, want CGI when you can't notice it. You know that's that's just the do dance. it well. Yeah, it's just and the thing is, it's still really expensive. Mm-hmm. Where it's almost like on par with you go back to the Lord of the Rings and how well the Lord of the Rings can still keep up mm-hmm. even though it's like early CGI but it's not all CGI you have those large sets mm-hmm. as far as Costco it's around the same yeah, yeah. Uh, just that's how much like modern day CGI is and it mm-hmm. keeps getting better and keeps just the price is just still always expensive yeah and yeah. I just miss sets and real things and costume design yeah. and actual costumes, not computer costume. Mm-hmm. It's just that would take that would take me out. I doubt the CGI was good in this thing. Uh, yeah, it, it's more so the uh, uh, the visual design. And if anything, I have kind of uh, some horse blinders on me because I obviously like the the guy that designed the monsters themselves. It's true, you can you look know? past it a bit. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, but really, uh, I, if anything, I can't stress enough where this movie is cataclysmically bad is because they build things up so much. Uh, and they follow through on that for almost everyone but our main characters. And plot armor is the term that you will be saying almost out loud at every at, at every fight sequence, uh, at every um, you know every conflict that is put in front of the characters. Uh, and it is it really does feel like a waste of time. And that's what really leads me. Did it to... feel long too? I'm looking. So it's about two hours and twenty minutes. Oh my god! Oh, were you just like this... just wait and. <laughs> I, I need a I need a series of why movies are above two hours long anymore. You know what I mean? Space Jam, it's coming, folks. Space Jam: <laughs> New Legacy is two hours and twenty. What? Why? What? Why? The original is like an hour and twenty. Like it's <laughs> it, it's unreal, unreal. But yeah, it, it honestly that's where it comes to a, a rating this low is when it relates to, uh, again, uh, kind of to the watcher buyer guide of what we're designing this to be a tool for, uh, it is a waste of time. Uh, and free or not, with your Amazon Prime subscription, should not be something no, you should No, because your time's not free. Ex- yeah, your time is definitely not free. And not for Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt's getting paid off your time. Yeah, I like Chris Pratt, too. <laughs> I like the guy. Like Everyone loves him. He's a lovable yep. guy. It's just not surprising, though. I know, I know. But we Can't are going yeah, to give Go ahead. the Tomorrow War... An even 20. Good. That's fine. It honest, And I didn't even see it, folks. I, I, maybe I shouldn't comment so much. It looked like a clunker, and it is a clunker. <laughs> yeah. This is a clunker. It's rough. It's rough stuff. Yeah. Not not worth your time. I mean, it's hardly like even worth like a, a joke watch, honestly. I would rate it higher if it was like, all right, you can ironically like make fun of this or something like that. But it's that. trying to be serious. Yeah. No. And just, wow. No go. No go. Well, okay. I'm not surprised, and that all makes a lot of sense. I don't know how they think they're going to make their money back. I don't know either. Because you spend, what, $200 million, something around $200 million. Yeah, You're not yeah. getting that much, like, who's running? Who doesn't have Amazon Prime that says, oh, I have to get Amazon Prime now because I have right. to watch the Tomorrow War. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, that all makes sense. Well, let's keep it going. Okay. Maybe things turn around here. Let's uh, do the uh, the Green Knight. Oh, the Green Knight. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> got some got some energy back. Uh, so the Green Knight uh, is a A24, A20. I forget. I, why can I remember the studio's name? A24, A23, who have done, uh, you know, The Lighthouse, many different uh, indie film productions recently have had some more notoriety uh, with movies like Uncut Gems that have uh, pushed them into a little bit more stardom, a little bit more recognition. Okay. Uh, and The Green Knight is definitely continuing along that path. Uh, we have The Green Knight being actually a King Arthur, an Arthurian legend, uh, and a dark telling of that. So... Watching this film, unless you understood that the Green Knight was a, a story in that lineage, uh, you wouldn't know that uh, one of the characters is King Arthur. Uh, another hmm. is, uh, I believe, like a Merlin or like one of his his spellcasters right, in, right. in the story. Uh, because a lot of these elements are deeply de-emphasized de-emph- and almost, you know, a la The Witcher, uh, a very dark, gritty uh, medieval world they're going for. That is mixed with a lot of magical realism, and we basically have a story that we follow a lowly knight who is interacting with a curse and powers greater than his own, mm-hmm. and honestly, even at the end, obviously no spoilers or anything like that, but we are not left with a lot of substance in the script itself. The storytelling here is much through environment, through cinematography, through feel, uh, and that's where I would say, as an audience member, if you liked The Lighthouse, if you like these darker indie films uh, that A24 is putting out, that is going to be right up your alley. I would say the visuals, both in cinematography and CGI, I would honestly describe them as breathtaking in a lot of cases. The, really? Uh, yeah, the just the just the absolute respect to color composition, uh, where shot placements are, because you got to understand, there's not a lot of talking in this film at all. Uh, so the, it's a lot on emotion. There's a, a lot yeah. of motion and scenery and everything like that. You're left on this journey, much like exploring the the countryside of this this Arthurian world, like our main character, and it's something that you're kind of just left with a mood more than anything. Uh, and again, no spoilers to it, but the conclusion of this film is, you know, going to be pretty open ended for the artsiness that it goes for. Okay, but that's a good fit because. Honestly, there is almost a conversation that happens after this, uh, whether that's with yourself or who you may view this with, of what exactly the ending means and where did the film take you? Yeah, those can totally work. Yeah, if done properly, those are yeah, those are great. Absolutely, I think uh, for me, this this film hits in that same spot that the Blade Runner, the second Blade Runner, uh, hit for me. Watching that that movie at first, you know, I, it was it it didn't scratch all the itches that I wanted, but I knew it was a breathtaking film, and I knew that I really enjoyed what I watched. This hits almost in the exact same way because for me, there's not so much there to tear apart as far as the script or the continuity of the film. It's more so what did the visuals make me feel, and what type of journey did the film take me on emotionally? Is it anything? Could you make the comparison for something, a movie that I loved, which is The Revenant? Because mm. there's such small 
writing involved, but there's so much emo- so much emotion mm-hmm. and still following a story and scenery and everything like that. Is there anything like that? I think so, especially when it comes to the surreal elements that the Revenant put in there. Uh, for, for me, it always sticks out like the church scenes when Leo is is coming across. Uh, you sure. Know, and these... just the fact there's such little talking as well, mm-hmm. it's, but it's a hugely impact, emotional and emotionally impactful mm-hmm. at the same time because you're really going on a journey with, uh, with the Green Knight. You're going... On this journey with him, mm-hmm. absolutely, uh, and, and there's a there's a lot there that well, let me put it this way as well with the Revenant. This film is nowhere near the class of the Revenant. I mean, I think the Revenant is probably one of the best to achieve that type of visual yeah. storytelling. But but this is also d- d- didn't have the budget behind it and everything like you know what I mean. Very true. Very true. For that reason, I think upon a first viewing, for any audience members out there, you may come walking away from this a little unsatisfied just because of its vagueness I think this is and again I'll go back to my example with the second Blade Runner a film that will appreciate over time and I think The Green Knight is absolutely going to be a film that gets appreciated more and more over time as audience members true fans of the film can unpack the visual uh, the visual storytelling and what it really would mean yeah, yeah. in this Arthurian legend but also if the type of uh, visuals are striking to you, uh, something that you'll enjoy watching and kind of have a quiet moment with. Performances are strong. Our main guy, his name is eluding me. Oh, it's um, he's he's actually been in around a decent amount of things. Yeah. Well, he's starting to be a thing. Uh, Dev Patel. Yes, Dev Patel, who has gotten a lot of recognition for uh, for the uh, films he's been in. Uh, I think it's a strong performance, as are a lot of his uh, his his co stars. Uh, it's just more so. Again, it's so de-emphasized. It's more so about the mood of what he's going through and this journey that he's going through. It's going to be something that I think is highly up to the interpretation in the audience uh, of how much attention span you have to watch a film like this and how much you get enveloped and involved in the dark fantasy uh, of what they're putting out. For me, uh, as a D&D nerd, I loved it for that reason. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I really got involved into trying to look for the deeper pieces and what they were doing and or how a scene was set up and what it means for our characters. So, But with that said, honestly, there's not too much to more to talk about because I would be dipping more into the uh, spoiler elements if I was to unpack the specific conflict that our character comes across. So I think main thing here, if you are a fan of this studio, if you are a fan of maybe some uh, the fantasy genre, and we haven't had really a major film in that category in a while, it's definitely worth a watch and give it your time. We're going to go ahead and give The Green Knight a 71. 71, very good, yeah. Absolutely. It was kind of off my radar, and yeah, I think I'm definitely interested in checking it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, visual design-wise as well, really good a different stuff. Kind, different kind of movie overall, yeah. All right, very good. Well, we've got one more on the list here. Big old blockbuster. It's going to be Black Widow. Black Widow. Yeah, and, and interesting that we've had some, some runway in having this uh, unfold, because of course we have Scarlett Johansson now suing Disney because of mishandling the license and... Putting yeah. it up on Disney Plus or the premium at the same time, and it was supposed to yeah, it was supposed to be yeah. movies first because she's doing yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just kind of interesting. Doesn't it doesn't hurt any? Oh, doesn't hurt or help the the criticism of the film? But oh, uh, it's all post stuff. It's, exactly. Yeah. I think it's interesting to have a, a messy breakup like that. But uh, Black Widow, uh, an interesting film. 
that is, uh, of course, 100% a Marvel film. We also have this film in the aftermath of what is going to be the Endgame saga or, or what they are now marketing as the Infinity Stone saga. It is supposed to be happening within that. So it's interesting because we have dialed back stakes. I think that is the biggest highlight and will be definitely a theme in what I'm talking about here, that it's dialed back stakes. We're not dealing with a massive galactic scale villain. Uh, we're not dealing with... Which makes sense because that kind of stuff, you save it for those big, the big combination films. We have everybody right. on film together. Absolutely. This kind of makes sense then. Yeah. Or uh, maybe not, maybe it's just... It, maybe it's just bad, and because there's less stakes, that means you care less, basically? Um, maybe a little bit of both, if, if I'm being honest. Okay. Uh, there's there's definitely uh, some give and take there. Uh, I, I think overall I enjoyed it being more dialed back because we can... You know, we don't have to do, uh, you know, a shit ton of homework just to enter into this film and understand oh, what's yeah. going on. It has been a lot. Go- yeah. yeah. Or, or that even be a burden on the film to try to explain to audience members that haven't. Maybe yeah. And going to huge backstories. I mean, there's how many films now exactly. all with their little kind of uh, Easter eggs or storylines that all mm-hmm. connect somehow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when it relates to something practical, uh, again, no massive CGI villain. It was a lot of good fight choreography. Oh, there, there was there was uh, uh, a lot of highlight there. Uh, I would say once again, as I mentioned with uh, uh, with our first film, uh, The Man from Uncle. I re- I saw this film. I said I want I kind of want to scratch this itch of a spy film that's not a superhero spy film. And that's what led me to watch that film and kind of have it paired in this set of films that we're reviewing today. Uh, it is a very Bond-style film, uh, uh, especially what? in the scene hopping uh, that it does. Very jet set. Uh, we are... So that was in the back of your head? Like, this is kind of Bondy? I think so. I mean, Bondy in the sense that... What the Daniel Craig Bond films are, they are going around to very high... There's a lot of scene hop. Inspector alone, it's yeah. the most scene hopping they ever did. Most yeah. locations ever shot at and everything like that. And I think that that translates to a style of jet set, of luxury, uh, of espionage. I think that's part of the, the window dressings for that. Well, so was it done well? Or was it like, yes, Jesus, another location? I, I think it is done well. Uh, I've de- I mean, there are definitely uh, Marvel films that have done it more poorly uh, and... Uh-huh. Compacted. The well, they were putting a lot. They really wanted this to do well. Scarlett Johansson <laughs> yeah. in her own movie now. Like absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think you 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 you've been reading my mind today because let's let's talk about Scarlett, and that's the next bullet point. Uh, Scarlett is uh, a confusing performance. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, uh, we've seen her so many times in this position, though. Right. In, with with this character and world, and you think there would be some comfortability, but I I honestly, if I had to cr- criticize the acting. Alone, Scarlet seems like she's uncomfortable in the skin of this character. Now, there is, oh, huh. it, it, yeah, exactly. It's, the it's, last thing you would think. It's confusing, yeah, for sure. Uh, I would say Scarlet, in a lot of cases, is probably the worst part of the film, and that's <laughs> terrible to say because yeah, it's it's her. The film. one thing is like the writing can be bad, it, yeah. but, but she's great, <laughs> right? Right. That's hilarious. Uh, there is, uh, I'll, I'll put less of an emphasis on this and, and focus on what I want to talk about in a second with Scarlett. But again, there is a lack of confidence, it feels like. If I really had to put my nerd hat on, sequentially in the story, she hasn't gone through the major 
you know, messed up beats that maybe have changed the character later on in this saga. Okay. Uh, so it really didn't make sense, the kind type of direction she was going with the character. Uh, very punished, very conserved, which was weird. But more than anything, let's, let's uh, honestly put that on the back burner, that type of criticism for, of the acting. She is completely outshined by the rest of the cast. The rest of what? the family is phenomenal. Uh, Florence Pugh, who was, of course, in Midsummer. And okay. it plays her sister in this is amazing. I love every single moment she's on screen. She's just, funny. It's not like bad, cringy funny in a Marvel way either. Like it is genuinely. Right. It's not like slapstick or. Yeah. Right. It's great. She's almost like making fun of Marvel in the jokes of the film. It, it's fantastic. We have Hopper. Uh, yeah. From, David Harbour. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how, how am I forgetting? Rachel Weisz. Uh, no. I don't know. Okay. Well, either way, she is... I, this this minor criticism that I have of Scarlet, that she feels energyless. Let, let me condense it there. Yeah, she feels energyless in the... It's supposed to be the exact opposite. Yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. She feels exhausted in the performance. It is accentuated by the phenomenal job everyone else is doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is just terrible. Um, it... Uh, honestly, my last point here, it left me asking why they bothered making this film. Why are we... Oh, was the action good? Like, I have to say, it's the thing, it's just like, oh, the stakes were less, so we didn't have, like, the world ending, of course. We didn't have crazy right. things happening. It was kind of like normal bad guy. Mm-hmm. I would look upon Marvel movies better if I started seeing, again, normal bad guy stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just, you get tired of watching right. action hero movie after movie that where the world is collapsing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, really? Oh. And what what's what city are we gonna pick this time to destroy <laughs> right. and like save the earth? But. Right, right. And was it rewarding? Like, no, it's just didn't it even w- matter. I mean, it was rewarding in the sense that the action. I, I do think the action and the set pieces were both flashy, and, and and the choreography was good. But at the same time, I mean, I can't give it too much credit in that regard because it's just cookie cutter Marvel. Yes, exactly. Oh, and and, yeah. that, and then I think it, a lot of viewers are self aware now of the type of very particular kung fu action that Marvel films are. It's and not particularly exciting, right? And, and and this did not break the mold because. Black Widow is one of those. I mean, that's her yeah, power. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. she's, you know, she's, she's, you know, kick ass. And she, exactly. Yeah. The the main villain as well of the superhero villain is is Taskmaster, who specializes in understanding like the the kung fu side, the superheroes that are in. in so had they maybe had a better fight choreographer, they could have done like. It, the fight scenes could have actually been something like when you watch like good gung fu that's mm-hmm. done really well mm-hmm. it just becomes amazing to watch and you're mesmerized by it you watch sure. like a John Wick or um, sure. what's the one of the original gung fu ones the, uh, not the uh, tower like the raid the, right the yep. raid and mm-hmm. it's just like you know if these guys are going to be doing a lot of hand to hand combat mm-hmm. if you actually make it cool it really can change a movie around absolutely and it's just cookie cutter Marvel who wants that absolutely it's like been there and done that on 30 different other films uh, and, and a, a perfect point because it encapsulizes that feeling of why did we need this you know that that's not just a judgment of like the story or why are we dusting out Scarlett Johansson again well you again. needed a lead female in a big time blockbuster right. Marvel movie right yeah, yeah. Uh, so it it, it just uh, on so many levels it was like uh, this was fluff uh this was absolute filler no killer it is a shame because you know i i'm not saying that i ever want a movie to be overtly bad but to uh you know for for scarlet to put this many years into and she the... deserves that role absolutely. like again they were they was a big push to get a lead female yeah, film and she was 
why would you not give it to her? Yeah. She's oh, she's very well developed in the um, in the world already with her character. Yeah. We've seen her on so many different films. Mm-hmm. It's just a shame that this one she decided to lack confidence exactly. in her own. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I think I think besides the the shitting on this film, the, there are highlights in set pieces, in the set jumping, the jet set side of it. It being a spy film, and again, uh, the supporting cast is truly phenomenal. Florence Pugh, uh, I uh, seriously eyes on her because she is, uh, she's shown that she's done horror. She's been in kind of Oscar baity films, you know, period pieces, uh, and now breaking into this action, she's the best part of about the film, and really entertaining for that reason. So. But that's uh, honestly, there's there's not much more I can talk about. And if anything, it w- talking about it would be just trying to give some kudos to balance out what is overall a very mediocre experience, uh, a very uh, almost perfectly middle of the road Marvel experience. So we're gonna go ahead and give Black Widow a fifty nine. Fifty nine. That all sounds right. Yeah. 59 totally makes sense. And, 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 and maybe we are being harsh. Maybe we aren't Marvel love. I mean, there is a huge community of mm-hmm. Marvel fans out there, especially like younger kids who might actually just like been dying to see this right. and really love it. But yeah, I think that make for you, that makes sense. Absolutely. So if you can judge it off of that kind of. And, and I think as well as the practicality of this, if you are an existing Marvel fan, you're probably watching this one way or another anyway. Uh, you know what I mean? Just to see, keep up with the continuity. Oh, absolutely. Make sure that there's not an after-credits scene that's going to change the fabric of how, what next movies are going to happen and when, you know, what's going to happen. That, yeah, and there's always little things in there that it's just, it's a continuation of this world, basically, or another story in this world, and people just love being a part of that. But mm-hmm. 59, I think that sounds about right. Right, right. Especially, yeah. All right, Ben, is there anything else you would like to add? Are we roll credits? No, we are good to go. We can wrap this up. All right, well, let's just do a quick recap here, folks. We've got The Man from Uncle by Guy Ritchie at 75%. We have Roadrunner, uh, directed by Morgan Neville with 70%. The Tomorrow War, 20%. The Green Knight by David Lowry with 71%. Black Widow at 59%. All right, folks, we appreciate you listening. You producers, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer. Go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel that you receive from our product. You'll get a mention on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much. We'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast. Podcast.